Hello, everyone. Good morning to you. Appreciate the opportunity to speak before you this morning. I know with the time change, it was good and it's bad. It's good that we all, we all got to be here, but I know you're getting hungry. So I'll keep that in mind. It's in my mind, too. I'm going to ask you, nonetheless, to pay close attention. Here's why. I've been asked to speak to several churches during the course of my life, but I don't believe I've ever been asked to speak to the same church twice. So if history is any teacher, this is liable to be the only time you'll ever hear anything from me. So here we go. You know, one of the, uh, one of the, the tenets of the Restoration Movement was that we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We don't let men interpret Scripture for us. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. I think that's a good... That's a good principle. We're going to be doing some of that today. We're going to look at this verse, this passage, particularly the last verse. We're going to look at it pretty closely, and then I'm going to tell you a little story. And then we're going to go back and look at the verse again and finish up so you kind of know where we are, okay? So here we go. I'd ask you to look at that that last sentence there, verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Is there anybody in here that hasn't heard that verse before? (laughs) It's a pretty familiar passage, isn't it? There's two verbs in that sentence. Let's look at that second one, that send. Actually, send out is a verb phrase. Most of the time in the New Testament, when you see that send, send out, it's, um, it's, it's the same verb that we get the word apostle from. It means to, to delegate a task to somebody and then send them out to do it. Like Lisa might, she might apostle me to, to go buy a gallon of milk at the grocery store or something like, give me a task and send me out to do it. That's, if you're into Strong's Concordance, that is Strong's number 649. It's real common in the New Testament, 132 times. Almost every single time it's translated send out. This is not that verb. This is a different verb, okay? This verb is a a Greek word that is pronounced something like ekbalos. B-A-L-L is in that. That's... um, that's, a, that's the same root that we get ballistic from. It, it means to, to throw, throw something out, okay? It's also pretty common in the New Testament. Ekbalos shows up 71 times in the New Testament. 37 of those times, it's describing Jesus driving out an evil spirit. Four of those times, it's Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple. You're getting a, it's a little different flavor than delegating a responsibility to somebody and sending them out to do it. It's, it's forceful, it's muscular, it's strong, it's authoritative. You're making somebody do something they don't want to do. When people heard this for the first time, when they were reading this for the first time, that's the sense they were getting from this verb. So it makes the verse sound a little different, doesn't it? Um, it's not like sending somebody to the grocery store for a gallon of milk. 
it's asking the Lord of the harvest to drive out workers into his harvest field. Well, that, that sounds a little harsh. Why, why would God have to drive people out into his harvest field? Well, now it's time for the story. I want to tell you a little story about uh, when Lisa and I were overseas. Before I can really do it, though, I need to explain a couple of things to you. One is just to tell you about selling scripture in the marketplace. It sounds like a weird thing, but Lisa and I were part of a, a Bible translation project. Uh, we lived in a Muslim country in West Africa. Um, there's, a, there's a Bible translation into a, a, a language there that had been going since the 1930s. Uh, just before we got there, the New Testament was finished. They had probably half of the Old Testament done. It's still not finished. But there's a lot of scripture that, that had been translated into this language. The... Um, there was, a, there was a way for that scripture to be printed in country and bound into little, little pieces of scripture like this. This, is, um, this little booklet here is the first four chapters of Genesis, for example, the story of creation. So what, Lisa and I were not translators. We're not nearly smart enough to be Bible translators. What we, what our job was was to somehow get these portions of scripture in this language out in people's hands. And it's way, it's way harder than it sounds like it would be. It sounds like you could just take them to some bookstores and, you know, um, maybe people could order them off of Amazon. Just like, how hard could it be? But it was real hard. <laughs> this is one of the least developed countries in the world. Um, and they just... Most people didn't have anything print. Most people didn't have access to any, 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 not just any scripture, but anything printed in their homes. So we would be pretty creative. Uh, we would go to a village, give it to the imam, uh, give it to the mayor. If somebody was having a birthday, we'd give it to him. Uh, we'd give it away for wedding presents. But one of the things we also would do would be go to, go to the markets and, and sell it. These little towns would have weekly markets, and vendors from out of town would go on circuits, and um, we would often show up on market day and ask for permission to sell, and we'd have our stacks of scripture. People usually wouldn't buy it, but at least they would see it. They'd come and pick it up and, and see that, wow, here's something that's printed in our language. The village elders would often watch pretty carefully what people were doing and people were generally too afraid to, to buy it and take it home. Imam would be watching too. So, uh, but at least, at least they knew it existed. And if they ever came up upon it in a situation where they weren't under the watchful eye of, of village elders, they could pick it up and, and take it. But if we went to a market and sat all day and sold eight or ten books, we would consider that to be extraordinarily successful. Lots of times we wouldn't sell a single one. So that's, 
That's the first thing. That's what selling scripture in the marketplace looks like. We would sell it pretty, pretty reasonably priced. This little book here would go for a, a thousand francs, which would translate today to be about a dime, 10 cents. The other thing I need to tell you about before I tell you the story is about sorcery. Anybody had any experience with sorcerers in the audience? It's kind of, it's not, not a real common thing over here, but it's real common over there. I know a lot of you are thinking that kind of stuff is kind of made up, right? I mean, sorcerers are just, they're just uh, charlatans. They're just kind of taking advantage of people by, no, that's not, that's not how it is at all. That's not the way God sees it. There's a lot of scripture about sorcery, and none of that scripture suggests that God thinks it's made up, right? Sorcery is a big deal. And it was a huge deal over there. There were um, there's a there's a demonic activity here too, but it was it was way easier to to see it and feel it over there. Sorcerers were the they they were sort of the specialists in the villages and towns. If you needed something, if you needed something done that was real important, you didn't go to the imam, you'd go to the sorcerer. If you needed a curse put on somebody or you needed some kind of special thing done, you'd go to the sorcerer and work out some kind of a deal with him. Um, putting a curse on somebody is, it's, it's way different than cursing. <laughs> I'm sure everybody in here is, probably most people in here at least have had the experience of being cussed out by somebody. That's unpleasant, but it's nothing like having, being accursed by somebody. I'm here to tell you, having somebody look at you and pronounce a curse on you is creepy. It's really creepy. There were there were towns in in our country that were pretty. Um, they were they were especially known for the quality of their sorcerers. One such town was a town called Matakau. Matakau was a couple of hours, few three four hours away from us. It was it. It had a reputation not just in our country but in neighboring countries. People would come from other countries because these were the best sorcerers money could buy. And you get an audience with one of these guys, you could get something pretty important done. Well, it came about that um, I had this sense this feeling that God wanted us to go sell scripture in the market at Monte Cal. But I didn't want to go. Never been to Monte Cal, heard a lot about it. Um, there was a town not too far from there in the same, same district that uh, I had been to a few times and uh, been up there praying for sick people, had done some things there, knew a few people. Uh, so I figured that's pretty close to Matakau. If I were 
able to leave some scripture there. Some of it might make its way down to Matakau. So I believe I would just go to this other, other town instead, and that surely that'd be good enough for God, and he'd be fine with that, and off we'd go. So I knew what day the market was in this other town. So I um, decided I'd go up there. That, having been up there a few times, I, I, I knew it'd be a safe place to take Lisa, and I actually took one of our daughters too. So three of us decided to go up there loaded up the, the car with boxes and boxes of scripture because you never can tell who you might meet along the way. So we loaded up, went up there. On the way, decided I'd stop and see the governor. I'd met him a few times. I knew he would be happy with me going and selling at this place, and it wouldn't hurt to go ahead and get written permission from him just in case I ran into some trouble up at this other town with the local leaders. Letter from the governor can't hurt, right? So I stopped in there and knocked on his door. He was glad to see me. We sat down and talked for a while. Lisa and Laura were waiting out in the car. Told him what I wanted to do. He said, well, that'd be fine, except there is one problem. I said, what's that? He said, well, the town you wanted to go to, their market day was yesterday. They don't have market today. Oh, man, I got the days wrong. Well, that's a problem. So I said, well, you know, there's 15 or 16 towns in your district. Surely somebody's having a market day today. Could I go there? He said, yeah. I said, well, where, 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 which ones have market today? He pulls out his list. He so, starts looking down through there. He says, well, there's only one. I said, which one is it? It turns out it's Montecal, of course. So that was kind of creepy, too. Now I was not only creeped out by Montecal, I was creeped out that God had figured out I was trying to weasel out on him, and he, had, he wasn't going to let me do it. He'd put me, in a, he'd put me in a position now where if I disobeyed, it would be flat out in your face, no question about it, disobedience, right? I couldn't, com- I couldn't say that I didn't understand because it was pretty clear now. And I knew, I read the book of Jonah, I know what happens to missionaries that don't, don't go where God send them. We're pretty far from the coast, but God can do amazing things. And I went out, explained to Lisa what, what was going on, and said, what do you think we ought to do? Lisa is a much better missionary than me. She could have said, tell you what, James, if God wants you to go to Monacau, then you better get going. I'm going to wait under this tree right here with Laura, leave us some water, and don't forget to pick us up this afternoon. But she didn't do it. She went along too. But the weasel in me was not dead yet because I knew that there was a pretty good chance I'd still never make it to Monacau. It was at least an hour away. I'd never been there. I didn't know how to get there. You can't just... Pull out your phone and say, hey, Google, take me to Matakau. It won't work there. There's not any maps. The roads are probably the least developed aspect of this poorly developed country. And I thought there was a pretty good chance that I could just drive around for a while, never find it, and finally say, you know what, it's getting close to dark. We better head back home. So I'm driving out of town, kind of feeling like I had a pretty close brush with God there, but I still was going to be okay. I picked up a hitchhiker just as we were leaving town. That's something you do a lot there. 
Ask the guy, where is he heading? Well, guess where he's going? Of all the places he could have been going, had a big load. I don't know how he was planning to carry it all that far, but um, golly. So that was really creeping me out now. But I still had one card to play because, as I mentioned, uh, you have to get permission from the local people, too, before you can sell in the marketplace. The local leaders, not always very amenable to that idea. So I thought there was still a pretty good chance, even though I was going to have to go, I might not have to stay. So driving, driving, finally we get there. I explained to the, the guy what... What I need to do now is talk to the talk to the local local um, head guy, the mayor. He said, "Oh, I know him. I'll take you right to his house." So we did. It turns out they were having a, something like a town council meeting in there. When I went in there, there was probably a dozen, fourteen guys sitting all around in this uh, house, and um, it wasn't just every day that somebody from European derivation walks into the town council meeting. So curious about why I was there. I explained to him I'd come to sell in the market. Well, what is it you want to sell? I told him I had some books. Wow, they said, we don't get booksellers hardly ever. What kind of books are you selling? So I told him, well, these are, these are books about Jesus. I'd probably kill the conversation right there. Well, um, they weren't real happy about me selling books about Jesus there, but they decided they'd have to They'd have to confer about that before they'd give me permission. So I knew enough of the local language by then that I could tell that the idea wasn't very popular. And it looked pretty, looked pretty good for me that they were going to not give me permission and just uh, ask me to take my books and leave town, which was fine. Things were going just the way I expected them to. And... As I recall, that letter from the governor, I think I forgot to show it to him. So they were just about ready to come to, the, come to the decision to ask me to leave when another guy walked in. He was a member of the town council too, but he'd been out of town and just had gotten in right then. So they fill him in that they got this guy here that wants to sell these Jesus books and they were just about ready to tell me to leave. He said, well, let me see these books. He walks over to me. I had a bunch of them with me, and I showed them to him. And he picks them up and starts looking through them. And he, he said, oh, wait a minute. I've seen these books before. Some guy came to my village about a year ago and had a bunch of these books. And he left them. And I didn't want to look at them at first, but, but I did. And... Let me tell you, these books are really good. It would be really good for our people to have these books. This Jesus in these books, he is way more powerful than the evil spirits. I think we should let him sell. Well, this guy was really good. And when he came in, it was like 12 to 0 in favor of sending me on down the road. But by the time he was done... Not only were they, had they decided to let me sell, they put me right exactly in the middle of the market. 
usually we're way off on the edge where maybe people will see us and maybe not. But he convinced them we needed to be right in the middle. And not only that, he wanted a police escort. He, he said the chief of police needs to go down there with him and be right there while he's selling. So I walked out, I walked out of that room thinking, God, I get it. You beat me three for three. You're the almighty God. I'm just a lowly weasel. I, I, you beat me. But now you're just showing off. <laughs> Police escort right in the middle of the market. That's, you didn't need to do that. But he did. We set our little tables up and started pulling out the boxes and setting the books out. And you remember how I tell you people would come by and, and look but not buy? It was the craziest thing. It was, it was like a feeding frenzy on God's holy word in this dark and scary place. People were absolutely unhindered. We were selling the books as fast as we could, as we could get them out of the boxes. A lot of them never even made it onto the table. That poor policeman... He was doing crowd control the best he could, but he could not control the crowd. He, dealt, he deputized somebody from the crowd to come and help him, and money was moving around, and books were moving around, and it was, it was, it was the craziest thing, the craziest thing. We were working without stop. We couldn't even have time to get a drink until finally we had to go home. I mean, you don't... It's not a good idea to be out after dark there. So we were looking at our watches, realized if we don't leave now, we're not going to make it home by dark. So I got back in the car. As we were driving out of town, you could see clusters of people gathering around somebody that had a book, reading God's word in their language. In the darkest and scariest place in the whole country we started looking at the empty boxes in the back of the of the truck and doing a little calculation we figured we'd sold about 600 pieces of scripture that day way more than all the other markets the whole time we were there it was amazing I knew that I had been an eyewitness to the majesty of God. I had seen God do an incredible thing. And he had made sure that I was there when he did it. Even though I didn't want to be. And not only that. He made sure Lisa was there and Laura was there. And we all got to see him do a mighty work. I don't guess you could exactly call it a miracle. But light had come to that dark place that day, as far as I know, for the first time. And I got to see it. I got to be there. A grace from God. But that wasn't all I was thinking about. What were the reasons I didn't want to go 
tomato cow. It's a dark place full of demons and sorcerers. What was the reason God wanted me to go to Matakal? Because it was a dark place full of demons and sorcerers. The exact reason I didn't want to go was the reason God wanted me to go. That was pretty convicting for me. I will never forget it. And that's why God has to drive us out. Because I think most people are a lot like me. So that's the story. Let's go back to the verse now. There's another verb we didn't look at much yet. It's ask. That last sentence starts with this verb, ask. This is Strong's number 1189, if you keep up with such things. It's 22 times in the New Testament. Eight of those times is when there's a, um, there's a, there's a healing involved. For example, in Luke 5, the leper, he saw Jesus come and he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's the, that's the same word. He's on his face on the ground, begging him. You remember when um, the man had brought his son to the, that, that had epilepsy, brought his son to the disciples and asked his son to heal him, to heal the son. Remember that the demons would throw the kid in the fire. It says, they begged, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Asking is one thing. Begging is a different thing. It's, an, it's, it's different in intensity, but it's also different in that I might ask for something because I think it's important to you, but I'll beg for something because it's important to me. You see the difference? I believe what Jesus is saying here is if you'll see the crowds right, it will be important to you that I drive workers out into those harvest fields and you will beg me to do it. You'll Beg me to do it. But we don't beg very much for that, do we? Maybe it's because we don't see the crowds right the way Jesus does. Remember what he said? Saw the crowds... Solomon is harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I was afraid of the sheep. You weren't afraid of the sheep, James. You were afraid of the sorcerers. But the sorcerers were sheep too. 
they were helpless and harassed too. They were being harassed by the enemy more than the other people. But it's hard to see it that way. It's easy to be afraid of the sheep. And not just afraid of what the sheep might do to you, but it's easy to be afraid of what going to the sheep might cost. It costs a lot. It costs the apostles a lot. It costs Jesus a lot. And it's liable to cost us a lot, too. Might, might cost us a lot of money. It might cost us more than a week of vacation time. It might cost us learning another language and another culture. It might cost us setting aside the American dream and just realizing we can't do both. It might cost us more than we want to pay. So James, are you saying that to be a good Christian, everybody's got to go some dark place? No. I don't, read, I don't read that in Scripture. What I do read is that we all ought to be begging that he drives us, the church, to those dark places. He'll decide who he wants to send, but he's already told us all to beg. So, I wanted to let you know that some of us have been begging for a while. There's a little group of us that have been meeting on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock in the library, and that's what we do. We beg that God will drive people out. We're begging that God's going to drive some people out from this very congregation to some of the darkest and maybe some of the scariest and some of the most difficult fields in the world. There's places still today that have never, ever heard the gospel yet. People are born there, live their whole lives, and die there. Never hear it. Don't know anybody that can tell them. That won't change until somebody goes. And if you want to come and beg with us, you're welcome to join us. Nine o'clock in the library. So, we've looked at this passage twice now. You've heard my little story, and I'm just about finished with what liable to be my only occasion to be in front of you. Thanks for listening. Let's um, pray together. Father, we, um, we know that it's, all, it's always been that way, that our ambitions don't exactly line up with with your one great ambition. We have lots of things that we want. You have one thing that you want. Father, I'm praying that you will, you will change that in us. You will make us want exactly what you want and nothing else. Father, I'm praying that you will, you will, you will do it. You will drive people out. Um, You've done it before. You've been doing it for a long time. It's because you did it 
that, that we know the gospel here today. So uh, we know that the task isn't, isn't finished. And we know what it's going to take for it to become finished. And we want it to be finished, Father, so that Jesus come back and, and we can get on with the next, the next phase of human existence. And we know that we can hasten that day. You told us that too. So do it for us, Father. We're begging you. In Jesus' name, amen.